0: Father, thank you for this time together this morning. And Lord, we uh, come and recognize you as our Savior, uh, as the one who produces revelation for us. God, who has given life for us, who forgives sins for all who call upon your name. I pray, dear Jesus, that uh, you would take this time and use it uh, to glorify yourself. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling today, that you would uh, give them strength and courage. Lord, that you would open their eyes and their ears that they might receive from you. Those who need to know you, that you would draw them by the power of your Spirit. And may you be glorified, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, we're going to be in the final chapter of the Bible today. But before we get there, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 2. And uh, the title of this sermon is The Importance of Trees. Uh, I don't know if you realize how important trees are, but they're pretty important. Matter of fact, does anybody know what a dendrologist is? Raise your hand if you know what a dendrologist is. Okay, um, We've got one person. Uh, you must be a dendrologist. I, I've never heard the word before this week, by the way. I, I studied it this week and found out that um, there's something called dendrology. They didn't teach me in my school. uh called the study of trees and a dendrologist is much more than a forest. So this is someone who is a tree expert. Who knows the history of trees, knows everything there is to know about um, about uh, trees, basically. And uh, what I found out is that trees are extremely important. Do you realize that without trees on our earth, life would cease to exist, as we know it. We would relatively have almost no chance. Can we do something about the sound? I've got a tremendous buzz going on here. Um, thank you. <coughs> I, I don't know what the expert for that is, but nevertheless, uh, but for... For dendrologists, uh, what we find is that life on our planet could not exist without trees and and shrubs. And I I want to give you ten reasons I found out why we couldn't live on this earth, why trees are so very important. First of all, what's really interesting is trees do just the opposite of what human beings do. We, of course, take in oxygen and then we breathe out carbon dioxide. Okay? That's what we do, and it, it's necessary for us to sustain life, okay? We have to have oxygen coming in, uh, but yet we expel carbon dioxide. If we kept that in us, it would kill us, okay? So, trees do the exact opposite. They do the reverse. They actually absorb carbon dioxide, and they emit or breathe out oxygen, okay? So trees breathe out, emit oxygen, and absorb carbon dioxide. The second thing they do, or the third thing really that they do, is that they clean the air. That literally, trees, their leaves, uh, and the moisture they emit, they literally clean the air. They will pull out, uh, in a lifetime of a full, fully grown tree, a fully grown oak tree, uh, they will take in about three tons of carbon dioxide. Think about what would happen. That's just one tree. And they will also grab about 1,000 to 1,100 pounds of other pollutants that are in the air. Isn't that amazing? Um, they also clean the soil. They clean the soil. And the way that they clean the soil is their roots and their system, they will take on uh, toxic particles and chemicals and waste that comes through. Their roots will grab them and literally will neutralize them. Pretty amazing when you stop and think about it. Uh, they also prevent the topsoil from eroding, okay, without trees and without vegetation. The soil, the topsoil, which is necessary to produce vegetation, would simply erode and simply wash away. They also help prevent noise pollution. Do you realize that uh, fully grown oak trees or just fully grown trees uh, that are placed in the right places in your yard uh, have the same ability as much, they absorb as much sound as a brick wall. Uh, so they help in the the angle of noise pollution, um, storm runoff. When when we have a big storm and when water comes gushing in uh, because of trees, because one tree, fully grown tree, will keep as much as a thousand gallons of water. Uh, they'll keep it from causing uh, floods and runoffs. As a matter of fact, you, you don't hardly see floods in forests, do you? Uh, it's in places where we don't have trees. That's typically what occurs. Um, also, they help to cool the earth. Uh, because a tree will uh, put out as much as um, almost 1,000 gallons of water a year into the atmosphere, therefore lowering the temperature of the surrounding area. That's why you see, and a lot of times if we look at the weather and you see what's going on uh, temperature-wise in the city, it's higher than it is on a hot day uh, in, in the rural areas. It's because there aren't enough trees there uh, to bring the temperature down. OK, they also act as windbreakers. And you know, what's the big deal about that? Well, one, it reduces the wind, but also it reduces the wind from drying out uh, the grass and other uh, crops and vegetation uh, from drying that out too prematurely. And they are our primary means of which shelter has been provided uh, for mankind for thousands of years. So you can see that trees are very important. They're very important to mankind and to our life. Now, with that understanding, uh, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, beginning with the seventh verse. And the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now, the Lord God planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. And notice verse nine, and the Lord made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground and the trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden, uh, there were two trees that he actually placed. Uh, one was the tree of light and the other was the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So there are actually two trees. I know sometimes uh, when I, I remember when I was a kid growing up, thinking there was just, one tree that the Bible specified, but it specifies two. It specifies a tree of life and then a tree of knowledge, a tree of good and evil, a tree in which uh, if they were to eat of, they would lose their innocence. Okay? All right, so let's skip down to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it. And you see that work used, that is in the positive sense as opposed to labor or to toil, which will happen with the curse but this was enjoyable work. It would be like those of you who actually love to work in your garden and love to work in your yard it's an enjoyable it's something that brings pleasure uh, and so uh, that's what's occurring here with adam and and uh and he's to take care of it and the Lord God commanded man commanded you are free to eat of any tree in the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of that tree. Uh, you're going to die. doesn't mean you're going to die immediately, but death will come upon you, okay? Right now, uh, you are in a state, in a place where you're fully innocent, and fully pure, and will you'll live eternally. There's the tree of life. I believe that partially is symbolic of that. Uh, but if you eat of this tree, this tree of knowledge and of good and evil, <clears throat> then death is going to come upon you physically and spiritually. Well, you know what happened. You know the story, Adam and Eve. Uh, Eve comes first and you know, there's only one tree you can't eat of, the serpent told her. And you know, God didn't want you to be like him. And if you eat of it, you'll be just like him. Well, the problem was, is God wanted them to remain in their innocence, in their purity. But God loves us so much, he gives us the choice. The choice whether to choose him or not. The choice whether to obey him or not. And so they all—we all we all have always have that choice. And so Eve made that choice uh, to partake of the fruit, much like you and I have. And on that day, death entered into her life, spiritually. She no longer lived without shame. Matter of fact, the Bible says that they recognized they were naked and they were ashamed. You see, it's the same reason for our three and four and five year old children that we don't take them to rated R movies. Okay? Same reason we don't give them violent games to play. Uh, we don't talk to them about everything that's in the news because we want to preserve their innocence. We want to protect them, and we want them to be innocent as long as they. It's the same reason those same children run around naked, and, and the neighbors come over and they'll go to the door and open it and say hi, okay, because they're purely innocent and they're without shame. That's the way Adam and Eve were. But once they partook of that, once they did, they lost their innocence. Sin entered into the world, and spiritually, that innocence was removed. And now, not only that, physically, they will die. They had the opportunity through the other tree, the tree of life. Scholars debate upon this, but I, I believe that they could eat from that tree. And I believe it had cookies on it, too. Um, it, wasn't, it was any kind of fruit. The Bible tells us that they could eat of all that they wanted. But I don't want you to lose your innocence. I want you to stay Pure. I don't want death to enter into the equation, but enjoy. But once they decided to go that direction, they also lost accessibility to the tree of life. The curse, the Bible tells us in that passage, would come upon them. The curse of sin and death. Because of sin, death comes physically and spiritually. And the only way that that curse will be removed will be through another tree. The cross of Christ. The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 verse 13 that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is anyone who hangs upon a tree. So the only way that curse could be removed is through Christ's death upon the cross. The only way that we would have accessibility one day were spiritually made alive and physically One day we will be made eternally alive. Now, with that understanding, let's move to the book of Revelation, chapter 22, the very last chapter of the very last book of the Bible, and see the last words that are given to us here in Revelation, chapter 22. (coughs) Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. The water of life is symbolically used as salvation, the grace and the power of God to save, the salvation that is offered. It may also be a literal river, but we know throughout scripture it's been used as a metaphor for salvation. As clear as crystal flowing through the throne of God, from the throne of God, of the Lamb, and down the middle of the great street of the city, and on each side of the river stood The tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. You know what's interesting? We don't see or hear from the tree of life again from Genesis, the beginning of Genesis, to the end. Now we're looking at the end of Revelation, the end of the Bible, and now the tree of life reappears. Uh, John is seeing a vision. He has a vision of what will occur in the tree of life will be there for those who have called him Lord and Savior. And it says that it bears fruit 12 months a year. It's, talk about an evergreen. It's always bearing fruit. And again, not because food is a necessity, but to eat for pleasure. Won't that be good just to eat for pleasure, as we talked about last week, and not have to gain weight? And to love everything that you eat. You don't have to worry about, am I eating my vegetables? Am I eating my proteins? So you just eat as your heart desires. And the fruit will always be there. The food will always be there. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. As the nations come together, the animosity that is felt toward different countries and different people groups is all erased. No longer will there be any curse. Remember the curse came and God warned them, do not partake of this food Uh, Or the curse shall come. And the curse came. And the Bible said, "Curses anybody who is hung upon a tree. And Jesus took the curse. And now the curse not only spiritually will be removed, but now the curse of physical death is being removed. There will no longer be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. And the servants will serve, or uh, a better translation in my opinion, will worship Him. And they will see His face. And his name will be upon their foreheads. They will see his face just as Adam had full accessibility to God. And he walked and talked with God. Now we will have that same accessibility. And then the scripture says, and they will be upon their forehead. What is that talking about? Well, in the Old Testament and in the Jewish faith, of course, there was a very important holy day called Yom Kippur. And on the day of Yom Kippur. The high priest was to go into the Holy of Holies. And before he went in, the name Yahweh was written upon his forehead. He was the only one would ha- that would have that accessibility to God. And that would go into the literal presence of God. And now God is saying, Yahweh will be written upon our foreheads. In contrast to the number of the beast, Yahweh will be written upon the forehead indicating you are mine and you are fully engrafted into the presence of God. He continues here and the Bible says that there will be no more night. There will not need to be a light or a lamp. Or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. No longer will there need to be a sun or a moon. No longer will there need to be lamps. For the full glory, the Shekinah glory of God will radiate throughout the new earth. Our new heaven. And light will not be necessary either metaphorically or literally, there'll be no more night, no more darkness. And they will reign forever and ever. Now, does that term, reign forever and ever? You know, a lot of times you hear certain guys talk about, you're going you're gonna to reign. And let me say this, we don't believe as evangelical Christians that we're going to have our own planet or we're going to have our own world and then we're going to reign over that. Okay? The Bible doesn't teach that. Uh, but what we do believe is that we will reign together with Christ. And in that sense, reign means this, that total fulfillment. All that you dream and all that you desire, because your heart has been purified and changed and transformed, your body and your spirit has been transformed, and all that you desire, everything will be as it should. Everything will be right. Everything will be as you dreamed. It will be as you reign, as you experience the greatness of God. And the angel said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that must take place. And then we see Jesus speaking here. He says, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Behold, I am coming soon. That Lord literally means behold, I am coming suddenly is what he's saying there doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be in the next day or two. But when I come, it will happen quickly. It will happen suddenly. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and, and, and had seen them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had, who had been showing them to me. But he said, do not do it. I am a fellow servant or worshiper with you. And with your brothers, the prophets, and all who keep the words of this book, worship God. And then he told me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book because the time is near. In contrast to the book of Daniel in chapter 12, verse 4, where God told Daniel to seal up the words, the prophetic words, because they weren't meant for that time. He said, look, I want everyone to have full accessibility I want you to not seal up these words. I want you to make them available. And so he says at this point, then he told me, do not seal up these words of the prophecy of the book, but because the time is near, let him who does wrong continue to do wrong and let him who is vile continue to be vile. What's he saying there? Well, we talked about this earlier in the last few weeks. Um, There were many who were worshiping, uh, who had come up with their own forms of worship and denied the power of Christ or simply added on. And there were many who were considered vile by the acts of worship they would do, uh, proclaiming that they were right. And he goes, look, you get the choice. If that's their heart, if that's what they choose, then I will not interfere. But for those of you who choose life, who choose me, He says, let him who does right continue to do right. And let him who is holy continue to be holy. Behold, I am coming quickly. I will come suddenly. I will come soon. My reward is with me for the believer. And I will give to everyone according to what he has done. Our acts of worship and righteousness are important. And I am the Alpha and the Omega. The first and the last. The beginning and the end. I am God. I've been here from the beginning, I am here now, I will be here forever. I am the point for which you exist. Blessed are those who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates of the city. The robes, the white robes, again, as a metaphor for righteous. Those who've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Those who've been cleansed by Christ through faith and have received the grace of God And who have been cleansed and washed. He continues here. He says, but outside are the dogs. And we don't have time to fully go into that, but it's a metaphor for those who are on the outside. Who have chosen to dwell outside. Those who practice magic arts, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves to practice falsehood. Remember, he is writing this to the churches. And this letter has been circulated around the churches. Remember, a lot of the churches were dealing with heresies. And we talked about this last week, how some added to uh, their faith. They said, well, yes, I-, I worship here, but I also worship over here at the local temple and uh, with sexual prostitutes. Uh, I also uh, make sacrifices uh, that are ungodly. I also worship the Caesar. And he's talking about those who've chosen to be, stand outside of the grace, that the sufficiency of Christ is enough, who've added to or by their own flesh simply engage. He says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you testimony for who? For the churches." I am the root and the offspring of David, the bride and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, come. We see right here in Scripture the last invitation that Scripture gives us. The last invitation that is spoken that says, come and receive this grace and forgiveness of Christ. Let him who hears say, come, let them invite others. All those who are thirsty for the truth, for the salvation, Let him come, and whoever wishes, let him take of the free gift of the water of life. The free gift of salvation that Christ is offering, this last invitation. And then we see a final warning. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to them the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this prophecy, God will... Take away from his share in the tree of life in the holy city, which is described in this book. Anyone who tries to come another way. Anyone who adds to the salvation that has been described and been given. The word of God, which has been given to us. Let him then be anathema. In other words, chosen to be outside of the community, outside of the kingdom. Recognize it is Christ and Christ alone who grants salvation. There's not another book. There's not another testament. There's not another way save the name of Jesus. It's by grace through faith we are saved. Through Him, not of works, not of anything else, less what Christ has done for us. And He who testifies, we see a final promise here. He who testifies to them say these things. yes. I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's a last prayer even. And the grace of the Lord Jesus, be with you and be with God's people. Amen. You know, George Bush was asked about a year or so ago if there was anything that he regretted during his presidency. And he said, you know, there, there is at least one thing that I regret that I, I wish I hadn't done. And they said, "Uh, what what was that? He goes, well, a couple of weeks after we invaded Iraq, he said, I I went to talk to the troops. And behind me, there was a huge banner and it said, Mission Accomplished. He goes, you know, I, I wish I hadn't done that now. I wish I hadn't stood behind that banner that said Mission Accomplished when we really weren't even anywhere close to accomplishing our final mission. You know, here's the good news. The cross of Christ is our banner. And for those of us who have believed and transferred our trust to what Christ has done upon the cross, mission is accomplished. And we don't have to regret. We don't have to live over here in the regret of our sin. We don't have to live and wonder, will I be good enough? Am I in control? Am I going to do it? Am I going to make it? We can believe and we can trust in the cross because Jesus Christ, He who knew no sin, became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He became the curse and He removed the spiritual curse and through Him we will have the physical curse removed one day that we might experience the tree life again. That we may be able to eat what we desire, that we may be able to dwell and to love and to receive and to uh, experience all the goodness That God has desired on an eternal basis. We may be able to eat cookies and not have to worry. So the choice is yours. What tree are you choosing today? I'm going to do it on my own. I'm a good person, I go to church. I'll be all right. I'm going to be fine. I don't even buy this whole cross business. Or that's great, yeah, cross is good, but look, I'm adding some other things to it. I'm making the decision. I will decide. I will do it my way. There's only one way to that tree, and it leads through this tree. If you come to the place where you bowed before the cross and said Jesus I recognize it is only by your grace that salvation is granted and I don't I haven't earned it or deserved it all I've done is sin but I want to invite you to come into my life and save me to forgive me and I want to ask you to remove the curse of sin and death from my life physically and spiritually so that I might be with you for eternity have you made that choice I want to invite you to do that today let's pray together Father, thank You that while we were still sinners, You died for us. And Lord, that You granted to us the opportunity to choose life, to choose salvation, to choose forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that we would not get stuck in what we think life ought to be about, how we think we can attain heaven, how we think we can relate to You. But Lord, that we would simply bow the knee and say, God, I recognize it is only through the cross I have eaten of sin. I've tasted of sin, and I've chosen that willingly and purposefully. But now, Lord, I choose You to forgive me because I recognize there's no other way. Grant unto me life through the tree of the cross. and Remove the curse of my sin by Your grace as I place my faith in You. You've not ever done that. I want to invite you to pray that right now and invite Christ into your life. Ask Him to forgive your sins Make him the God of your life.